It's a painfully cold and stormy night in the Scottish Highlands. You try to nuzzle into the damp warmth of your sleeping bag while you softly sing in an effort to keep your spirits up. Unsure of when the snow will stop falling, the singing stops, and you become increasingly fearful that you may be buried alive before rescue ever comes. Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait, it gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity Janes. Welcome to the podcast, Calamity Janes. I'm Madison. And I'm Bailey. Madison, tell me what disaster you're going to describe in great detail today. We are going to talk about the Cairn Gorm Plateau disaster. Okay. Was the singing documented? Because I got to say, really added a little creepy spice. I figured it would. Uh, No, it definitely wasn't. This is really depressing. And I was really excited. <laughs> I was really excited to do it because I knew you'd never heard of it before, but it is literally never. really sad. It is. Can I just say, pause really quick. Mm-hmm. This is important. If I were a Spice Girl, I would be Creepy Spice. That's yeah, it. Yeah, of course you would. I, I just, would be. I always. I would be Pumpkin Spice. I always spice. thought I'd be Ginger. Wait, you'd be Pumpkin Spice? Yes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I just, I always thought I was would be one of the existing Spice Girls. And this moment has been a defining one for me in realizing, no, creepy Spice. Yeah, I could have told you that. Well, why have you been keeping the secret from me? <laughs> I didn't know you needed to know. Uh, we've my all been talking about it, just like you guys were all talking <laughs> about my lisp. But we've all been talking about how creepy you've been for your many, many years of life. Excellent. <laughs> okay, carry on. Tell me about the what? What is it again? The Cairn Gorm Plateau disaster. Cairn Gorm Plateau Cairn disaster. Gorm. Cairn yes. Gorm. Those are those are consonants and syllables. I don't know that I will be able to string together consistently this whole this whole time. But let's give it a go. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's kind of like the theme of this. <clears throat> okay, so we're gonna do our best with these Gallic words. Isn't that all we have? It sure is. So, on Saturday, November 20th, 1971, 14 teenage school children from Ainsley Park School in Edinburgh set out to gain mountaineering experience under two young instructors and one trainee instructor in the Cairn Gorms of the Scottish Highlands. What are the Scottish Highlands, um, geologically? Uh, Curveball? Sorry, were you not not prepared? (laughs) Oh, it's more just a question I'm not sure how to answer. (laughs) They... Are, I mean, do you know what well, I mean? Well, because when I hear, yes, but when I hear <laughs> Highlands, I'm like, oh, rolling hills with like lots of grass. Is okay. that not what they are? Oh, no, kind of, yes. But they're, okay. is, and I'm actually going to cover that in just a minute. Uh, oh, okay. They didn't mean to jump the gun. Go, please carry on. No, it's fine. I mean, you basically lived to screw up my script, but it's fine. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Um, since I have firsthand experience in the Cairn Gorms, and because we like to bring some science into this when we can, let's take a minute to paint a beautiful word picture of what this terrain looks like. Your word pictures are perfection. Oh, I know. Sometimes. So, okay. The Cairn Gorms are located in the Eastern Highlands and are made up of domed summits on a high plateau. Tumor- Ooh, sorry. 
The Cairngorms are located in the eastern highlands and are made up of domed summits on a high plateau towering up to 1,300 meters tall. So think less American Rockies and more gigantic rolling hills carved by glaciers. Oh, that is quite the word picture. I now have a a good idea. I can see it in my mind's eye. Exactly. So, yes, what we in America, when we think of rolling hills, I think of like Midwestern kind of that sort of thing. Yes, that, but like way bigger. (laughs) And taller. Yes. And there are some steep cliffs, uh, but this area in particular is more domed summits. Gotcha. By domed, like you mean they are literally rounded, yes. not craggy. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you can see for forever, carved by glaciers, there are still, um, I think they're called, I have to recall my environmental science degree, uh, moraines, which are uh, lakes left by melting glaciers in mountains Mm. but uh so the area has an arctic alpine mountain environment with long-lasting patches of snow and fun fact supports britain's only reindeer population really yes it is a really fascinating area uh i this was our when i did my study abroad in scotland this was our last excursion and it was something we got to do independent of the program so we took several trains, several buses, and a really scary cab ride up to the, uh, up to Abbeymore, which is kind of the main town in this part of the Highlands. And it's like a little ski resort. Oh, yeah. So it's really out of the way and very up north. Yeah, it is very far up north. Um, It's a really cute, adorable little town. And we didn't get to spend, (laughs) we spent almost no time in Abbeymore actually experiencing what the town was like because we got there late, went to the hostel, and then planned our 17-mile hike the next day, uh, which even at that point I was in the best shape of my life, was still incredibly difficult. <laughs> I mean, it's 17, one seven miles, and it's hilly. Like yeah. actual hills. Yes. So we... um it's kind of hard to describe, and it's been quite a while since I've been there, obviously. But when you I mean, get... I think they're probably still there, right? They seem like those kinds of things that, like, persist over time. Oh, gosh, I hope so. It would be yeah. pretty weird if the highlands just disappeared. Poof. Poof. Goodbye. Yeah. So for those of you listening who still have aspirations to go, I'm pretty sure they're still there. I and also would highly recommend, although probably not in November like these people did, unless you are... Very well equipped. referring to you, (laughs) like these people, me, did. Uh, No. Oh, no. I have other stories like that where we were very ill-equipped for what we were going to go do. But that, thankfully, did not happen to me in the Scottish Highlands. (laughs) Story for another day. Exactly. I'm sure I love these mountaineering disasters, so we'll cover it later. Uh, So, anywho, that's kind of what it looks like. Really gorgeous area. Um, And it's like a a high plateau so it's the highlands because everything is up i see okay sense so back to our story 23 year old ben beady who was the school's outdoor education instructor with a certificate in mountain instruction served as the leader for the expedition although he had a lot of experience mountaineering his experience in the cairngorms during winter was extremely limited not a great way to start off just from that no 
why would he be in charge then? Isn't that like uh, apprenticeship material? Or He was it. He was the guy for the school. He was running the club. He did have a ton of experience, just not where they were going for the time of year they were going. In what I'm hearing is some of the most extreme climate in Scotland. To make matters worse, although he had a lot of experience in mountaineering, his experience in the Cairngorms during winter was really limited. So he brought his 21-year-old girlfriend, Catherine Davidson, who was in her final year at, uh, I'm going to try so hard. I looked up the pronunciation for like so many of these words. I'm giving it my all, Okay. I'll just play the Google pronunciation if you really mess it up. Thank you. Have a robot voice. Uh, She was in her final year at Dunfermline College of Physical Education and was approved by the school to aid the Mountaineering Club. So 23-year-old Ben Beattie. 21 year old girlfriend she had she was much less experienced than he was but she had spent some time in the Cairngorms during the winter like twice she'd been there so between the two of them they are still not quite an expert in this particular geography yes and to top it all off uh 18 year old sheila sunderland who had just started as a volunteer at oh, i couldn't find a pronunciation for this one laganalia like There is an outdoor center administered by Edinburgh Education Authority in the Highlands. She was a volunteer there. She was a volunteer training instructor and had no experience in the Cairngorms, but she also accompanied the group to gain experience. So she's she's there to learn. She's not there to really... Exactly. But she is 18, and so she, I think by two years, is older than the oldest student in this group. So, like, barely. It sounds like a bunch of kids leading kids, if you ask me. Yes, that's exactly what it is. The outdoor club wanted to practice navigation and emergency bivouac techniques. A bivouac? Thank you. I'm glad you asked. I anticipated this. (laughs) I'm so glad you knew I wouldn't know the obscure word in your sentence. I had to look it up as well. A lot. I had to like, I really wanted to understand this. So bivouac or bivy for short, which I think is what a lot of people in America call it. It's a type of shelter used in backpacking, mountaineering, uh, or just like if you're ever trying to be ultralight. It involves sort of a minimalist improvised elements. So essentially you're using natural things around you to create a shelter. Improv for hiking. Exactly. There are also bivy sacks that you can use out in the open that require essentially no setup and they're really lightweight. And they that makes them really convenient for like bike packing or really long arduous trips. So a bivy sack is like it's it kind of think of like a teeny tiny little tomb. <laughs> it's just like a long sack and it has kind of a tiny little like wedge-shaped tent over the head to give you some breathing room. Gotcha. So the things, bec- be- is there a standard thing to bring when people pack their bivy kits? Because it sounds like because it's all improvised, you're like one person says, I think I'll need a can of beans. And the other person's like, well, I'll bring a hammer and together we'll survive. Well, so a bivy sack is something you're like making a, a decision to bring that in lieu of a tent 
or oh, I see. It's a housing. It's a housing. This is not like your your camping materials. Yes. So that's what a bivy sack would be. But just it sounds like bivouac is uh like when you're out there, you're using what you have to make a bigger shelter as opposed to a bivy sack. I see. Using nature. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think these things can be used together, separately. There aren't really a ton of rules, but if you were to go out and create like a snow wall to prevent wind from interfering with what you're doing, that would kind of be what we're talking about. I see. I see. Or like a lean-to sort of situation. Real Bear grill stuff is what I'm hearing. Exactly. I have never done this, but I have heard now of bivy sacks. And uh, so just think ultralight, uh, trying to keep you warm, but you're not comfy. You're not, there isn't a whole lot of moving room. You can't sit up. Very tiny. Gotcha. Every claustrophobic person's worst nightmare. I am personally sweating bullets right now. Good. That's how I like it. Okay, moving on. So, uh, Beattie took the older and stronger students, and Davidson and Sunderland took the younger and less experienced students. So, how young are we talking? Um, so I think the youngest is fifteen. So think like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, maybe fourteen might be the youngest one. But um, okay, babies. Yeah, these are high school kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so the one with the most experience took the oldest and strongest students, and then the younger women with less experience took all of the younger, less experienced students. I kind of get it, but also I don't think that was the right move. Why did they need to split up? That's the first wrong move everyone makes in the horror movie is to split up. Well, they had a huge group, 14 students plus the three instructors. And they Nature were, doesn't care. They were, I think they were looking to practice different techniques for different skill levels. Saturday morning at 1030 a.m., both parties left. Like, <laughs> lag. Oh, God. This outdoor that center. One. That one place. Guys, I'm trying. It's L-A-G-G-A-N-L-I-A. Lag, Laganglia. Oh God! Don't ever don't offend people. I'm don't not. offend people. Just say the what is it? The outdoor center. But we'll just the call it the outdoor center. center. <laughs> yep. And drove to Karen Gorm Car Park. At that point, there was snow on the ground, and the forecast was not looking good. Once they all arrived at the car park, they all took the chairlift to the top station and ate their lunch at the Tarmigan Restaurant. Um, oh, there's a chairlift. Oh, because you said it's a ski. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not sure if we were (laughs) – I tried – I reread the blog that I wrote. I looked at the pictures. I tried to corroborate our experiences. What we did was also went to the car park, took the ski lift up to the restaurant, and then we did a really short scramble up to the summit of Cairn Gorn, which is a specific mountain in the Cairn Gorms mountain range. Real quick. Yes. What's a scramble? It sounds chaotic. It can be. Um, Instead of following this longer path that they had carved out, we took a straight up. It wasn't all that steep. It sounds really dangerous for us. It really was not that bad. It was just kind of steep and a little bit slippery. But we basically followed a burn, which is a stream, straight up to the summit. And we didn't need any special equipment or anything to do this because it really wasn't all that steep. It was just difficult. Fun. Yes, it was. That's why I'm not an outdoors person. Not yet. Not ever. 
<laughs> Once they arrived at the car park, they took the chairlift and they had their lunch at the restaurant. Beatty took eight children and Davidson and Sunderland took six. All left the restaurant not realizing that for many, it would be the last time they ever saw each other. Wow. Yes. So That's a bummer. The two groups had several spots that they wanted to hit, and they weren't really going to be all that far from each other. And I think, in fact, they hiked a little bit of the way together. But they – I'll cover a little bit of this later. But essentially, they wanted to go out, hit several different points, practice some different skills and navigational techniques. And they set alternative plans should something happen, like the weather go south, which – it already looked like it was going to. So in this area, I didn't know this until I started researching this, but in this area, there are shelters kind of all throughout this plateau. Oh. Yeah. So they're like kind of, they're like built into the ground kind of, just like one door in. They're, I think I saw they were somewhere like 12 by 8 feet. They're pretty small, but life-saving. In They're like bomb shelters. Yes, Exactly. So um, so they kept thinking, you know, no matter what happens, we're never too far from one of these. They've got maps. They do know how to navigate. It's just really difficult. Okay. Yes. So the more experienced group had a pretty uneventful trip, but they did have to navigate by line bearings as a result of the increasing winds and lessening visibility. We were starting to get into blizzard conditions. Line bearings are what? I think... <laughs> This is something, again, that I looked up, and I'm ashamed to say that I'm not too confident in my answer. That's I, okay. I can make it up if you want. It's uh, literally the person at the front takes a ball of twine and uh, passes it back to the people in the, in the back, and they all just follow the ball of twine. Am I close? Yes, that's exactly it. Thank you. Um, I think it would be following, like, a topographical map, sort of. Oh, uh, that, yeah, I can I see. I think... Yeah. I've, I, it's been so long since I, one, had to do it, two, studied it, and three, had to think about it. So That's okay. I like mine better. Twine. I like yours better, too. Thanks. So their group implemented their alternative plan and made it to the, I think it would be Koran Shelter, uh, C-U-R-R-A-N. I'm doing my best here, people. Not all of these have pronunciations on Google. Okay. If you can say it in a Scottish accent. Have at it. What? Why is the bar so much higher for me? You can't say it in your own accent, and I have to say it in a Scottish accent? You're the professional. Not in being Scottish. Okay. We'll work on that. I'm a professional Scot. They made Professional it... Scot. Oh, beautiful. That was Thank perfect. You. There's Thank a quote you. in here somewhere later. I'll let you say that one, too. Absolutely not. <laughs> if... if no, we've offended people far too much already. They made it to the shelter where they had to dig snow away from the door. So that's how bad the weather already is. There's already snow on the ground. They're already having to dig it away from the door just to get in. So they're already in their alternative plan. The shelter was high on the plateau and meant to be the emergency safety point for both groups. So Beatty's group spent the night there, and when Davidson and Sunderland's group didn't arrive, they figured they had also implemented an alternative plan and made it to another shelter. What year was this? 1971. Oh, before cell phones. I was going to say, why didn't anyone share their location yes. on their iPhone? Yeah, that would make so many things so much better. But so I don't think service was very good when I was there in 2015. So that's, I mean, 
They made it work in Jurassic Park. That phone made it through everything. You need to get a satellite phone. And just if you're gonna if you're gonna do these hard things, you gotta prepare. I want to live in your world. Your world just sounds better. I'm not making this. It happened in Jurassic Park, which means it's entirely plausible. That little satellite phone that kept ringing the whole time. This is true. Yep. Be Un- prepared. <laughs> Unfortunately, that isn't what happened. Davidson became worried that they wouldn't be able to find the shelter in the whiteout conditions and implemented a forced bivy on the plateau. So uh, the side of the bivy or bivouac was on a slight dip at the head of the Fay Buoy Burn. Uh, Fay Buoy is, from my understanding, a mountain. Got it. A burn is a stream. Got it. Okay. So they, uh, when things started to go south, when there were whiteout conditions, they were getting turned around. She was afraid they wouldn't make it to the shelter. She said, if we can find this burn, we'll be able to kind of get our bearings, find another shelter, and it'll be fine. It had snowed so much, there was no hope of them finding this burn. So they were never going to be able to do it. So they tried a forced bivy on a slight dip at the head of the burn. And it was only, this is devastating, it was only 500 yards from the shelter, and they didn't know. No. I know. No. And unbeknownst to Davidson, it was in an area for massive snow accumulation. Yeah. So, like every disaster, it's it's a disaster because all all the things that aren't supposed to happen converge into one singularity. Exactly. Ugh. Later, a leader of the mountain rescue team stated that to attempt a winter bivouac in a storm on a Cairngorms plateau is literally a life or death decision and a last option. Pretty, pretty strong. It's a no for him. The same leader also stated that the biggest mistake was even allowing this expedition to happen in the first place, which we already kind of knew. Right. Because it's like, who who okayed that? Who signed off and was like, yep, sounds good. I guess you said they're the highest. Well, no, don't they have bosses that are like, I mean, you're. Well, yeah, this is a club at a school. Right. Isn't the principal, yes. the superintendent, someone is like, yeah, but I guess they're, the, they're supposed to be the experts, right? This bivouac was a disaster. The group took shelter in a sleeping bags and bivy sacks behind a snow wall they built. Their attempts to stay optimistic by singing songs together were soon suffocated under a deep layer of snow while their fear of being buried alive took over. That is the saddest thing I have I know. ever heard. Davidson, the uh, leader who'd been there before, she led them in song. She did everything she could to try to keep them optimistic. And it's really, really awful to think about. So come Sunday, come Sunday morning, Sunderlin, who is the trainee, was barely conscious and members of the group were shouting for help below the surface of the snow. Davidson and a male student made an attempt to get help, but were quickly forced back to camp by the deteriorate. But were quickly forced back to camp by the deteriorating conditions. The storm. So they were. They kind of set themselves up to be buried alive. So yes, they're screaming underneath the snow. Yeah. So at night, when they're trying to stay warm and optimistic, they're that went away when they noticed how quickly the snow was falling and they started to be buried eventually 
you start to fall asleep, you get too tired, your body can't keep up, and they were buried. So, um, there, I think. Was that hypothermia or just a side effect from being too cold? Like your body, your, your metabolism, like you just slow down? Like, uh, probably. <laughs> Yes, probably okay. probably a little bit of both. Uh, I imagine, especially depending on your body type and what mm. if you're in a bivy sack as opposed to just a sleeping bag and how huddled for warmth they were. Mm-hmm. So Davidson and a male student made an attempt to get help, but were quickly forced back to camp by the deteriorating conditions. The storm continued throughout the day and at night. The group could see the flares of a search party. But their screams for help were lost in the whipping wind, and their own flares had been buried beneath the snow. Oh, no. Did they use all their flares? No, they couldn't find them. Oh, like they couldn't fire them off because they had been buried by the snow. No, like they could. They were buried, so they couldn't even find them. Oh, okay. Like when they the all... The people were buried? The every, flares were buried. The flares were buried. I think they were like actively trying to, the people were actively trying to not stay buried. But like we said, you're getting tired. You're losing consciousness. I see. You're doing your best. So, um, but how disheartening. They could see the rescuers flares. They could hear them, but they, the rescuers couldn't hear the the people who needed rescuing. Uh, this, does this get better at any point? No. Okay. It, it doesn't. Okay. At this point, the group was becoming delirious and students began dying. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, Beatty's group in the Curran shelter struggled to exit the hut because of massive snowdrifts blocking the door. Thankfully, they were able to escape, and after a long hike, they made it to a telephone in another hut where they were able to meet a transport vehicle that ultimately took them to Abbeymore Police Station, where they were able to report Davidson's party is missing. Three rescuers were immediately dispatched from Glenmore Lodge into the storm. More rescuers prepared to leave on Monday at first light. (coughs) But they already had rescuers looking for them, right? That's these people. Oh, I see. Yeah. Change scene. Yeah, sorry. Time hop. It, sometimes it's hard to describe those things in words. Gotcha. If I were playing you a film. A movie. Yeah, a movie. Yes. Um, yeah, so I mean, ultimately, thankfully, their group was able to find the hut, get out of the hut, ultimately, and get help. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to end well for them. No. They're all okay. They're all safe in Abbeymore now. On Monday morning, Davidson set off on her own to get rescue. Her legs were locked in a crouching position and her hands were frozen solid, but she dragged herself along the plateau. Her orange jacket was spotted by a circling rescue helicopter, and after being retrieved by the pilot and through her advancing hypothermia, she was able to muster only three words, Faye Bowie, Buried, and Burn. Yeah, a true champion she was. She fought so hard, and... But you're going to tell me... She didn't make it. No. I'm not going to tell you that. Okay. From this, the rescue team knew to search close by her location. After trekking through waist-deep snow, rescuers found six bodies buried in the snow, one buried beneath four feet of snow. Oh, my God. Miraculously, a 15-year-old was uncovered alive. He was taken to the hospital and made a full recovery. But Oh, my gosh. The remaining bodies were retrieved the next day. Oh. So, that is so heartbreaking. So Davidson and this 15-year-old boy were 
found alive. Um, I think I'm not sure how full her recovery was, but she did make it. I mean, if her hands were frozen solid, that does not sound. Yeah, promising. exactly. But how incredible that she drug herself through the snow. They had a hard time even getting her into the helicopter because her body was frozen in a crouching position. Oh, but she did it. She fought and she made it. And because of her, they were able to find the one boy alive and the bodies of the rest of the, the students. So you said one body was buried under four feet of snow. What were the rest? Uh, probably a little less than that. It just goes to show how deep the snow was. I see. I see. Yeah. And yeah, that one of the students survived. Oh, man. Incredibly. Where do you, what do you do after that? Talk about a life-changing moment. Yeah. So, thankfully, lessons were learned after what is considered Britain's worst mountaineering tragedy. One would hope. Yeah. Although an inquest after the tragedy failed to assign any blame, it was, yeah, (laughs) very controversial. Those parents couldn't have been thrilled about that. No, they sure were not. It was determined that permission slips sent to parents about the trip failed to convey what exactly the trip would entail, and the instructors were not prepared for the dangerous conditions. So the high levels, this is interesting to me, the high level shelters used by Beatty's group were ultimately destroyed after much controversy because they rationalized that if the shelters weren't there, people wouldn't rely on them as a safety net. And so they wouldn't attempt such difficult excursions that they're not prepared for. But those shelters are the only reason that that one group survived. And that's what the other half of the argument was. Some shelters are better than no shelters. Right. Because are you really stopping? Like the people that want to do that, aren't they going to do it? Mountaineers are crazy. Exactly. Yeah. But they there was no agreement on it. There were it looks like there were kind of two governing bodies that were discussing what to do about these shelters. And there was no agreement reached until the people in the highlands were like, we're just taking them out. And they just destroyed them. Wow. Yeah. So not such a huge fan of that. But um, they did start requiring mountain leadership certificates to uh, for educational expeditions so people would be more well equipped and uh, so i think people wanted the principal of the school to be held liable they wanted a lot of people to be held liable for what happened and it just just didn't happen yeah the permission slip thing is a little curious like what would that slip have said that indicated what exactly they were gonna we're sending your children into a hell mouth um any objections? Please sign here. Well, some of the parents said, we didn't know it was supposed to be a full weekend. We didn't know they were going to be camping out. We thought this was going to be like a day trip or they were just going to go up and back really quick. And also, like, they didn't even know that the group had gotten lost until they made it to Aviemore and the police were like, okay, we found bodies. And the parents were like, what? Sorry, what? Yeah. Yeah. So... There was, I think they fine-tuned a lot of the search and rescue procedures. I think they fine-tuned a lot of the communication. So those are good things to come out of this. But it's still, I mean, there's no getting around. It's a horrible thing that happened. Yeah, to say the least. I mean, those poor parents, the poor children. Yeah. And the surviving guide, well, both guides, but specifically the woman who's like, you know, 
did everything she probably could. Yeah. What survivor's guilt. Exactly. And uh, the male guide of the other group, um, all of them were okay. He later went on. He died in the Himalayas, I think, five years later on a trip. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. Well, I guess I should have known. Last week ended up on much too high of a note. Um, You had to bring us down this week. I know. Well, when we started a disaster podcast, we knew we would have moments like this. That's why I try to always have an impact moment at the end of it where we could look at some of the positives. That's true. That is the most important thing to do after disasters is understand what went wrong and how to prevent it. And I mean, we get that. And there are survivors here, which is an upside. But man, when you think about, oh, when you think about how close they were to safety, it's a little, it reminds me a lot of um, Donner Party. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's another Mm -hmm. one I considered doing. But what a behemoth of an episode that would be. Oh, that's a lot to unpack. Yes. But it's it's similar. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. When we look at it now, we're like, oh, my gosh, if only they knew. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Um, Never let your children do anything outside. Oh, my God. No. Never sign a permission slip. Camping? Absolutely not. Yeah. And you still want to go camping after that? Uh, After our last backpacking trip, I have really refined what I want my my camping trip. The one where you got snow blindness? No, that was a day hike. It was the one where you got lost. Yes. Yeah. That one. <laughs> gotcha. I see. Yeah. None of that sounds fun to me. Um, give me a good. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll go on an excursion to a good taco joint. Oh my god, that sounds so good right it now. It does mm-hmm. sound so good right now. Uh, see, when no one gets hurt and everything turns out okay, in hindsight, you're like, man, how car- how hardcore were we? It's crazy that we made it through that. How lucky. And I say the same thing when I go to Torchies and I get Diablo sauce. So, And no one dies because they had Diablo sauce. I'm just saying. That's a really good point. I know. Tacos over hiking. Oh, now I want fuzzies. I want their chicken nachos. That's all I want right mm. now. Mm. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. So I just can't even imagine having been exactly where they were. I can't imagine what it's like under several feet of snow and how just because of the rolling hills, it has to be so hard to figure out exactly where you are. And disorienting when your conditions are like a whiteout. Yeah. Well, thank you for that bummer of a story and the lessons that came along with it. This has been yet another episode of Calamity Janes. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in today. And if you enjoy more episodes like thank this, you. go go back. Yeah, thank you. Listen to our previous episodes and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're probably there. And uh, give us a review. It's always helpful when you do that. And if you have any suggestions, check out the show notes. There's an email where you can send us disaster suggestions. Let us know. Yes, please. <laughs> give us a send off, Moo. Bye-bye. Later, dude.